Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. God's plan relies on man's full cooperation and involvement, but a pattern that has been repeated throughout the history of God's move with His people is that His people repeatedly turn away from Him and allow their hearts to be fully occupied with everything but Him. This was the case in the Old Testament time of Isaiah, just as it frequently describes our own condition as believers and followers of Christ today. What is God's way to bring us back to himself? Ed Marks is with us once again today. Brother Ed, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Well, Chris, it's really a privilege to be back for this life study of Isaiah. I think that our listeners are in for a real treat. You know, some expositors have called Isaiah the fifth gospel. And there are so many riches in this book that are applicable to our situation today as believers in Christ. So I think we'll get a lot of uh, spiritual help and supply from this message today. Ed, I think you're absolutely right. If our listeners will stay with us and really enter into the thought that Witness Lee is going to present in our life study today, I think they'll be rewarded both with some enjoyment from this section and also with some very fresh insight that will likely explain, even define, elements of their own experience of Christ. We've had the concept of God's firing of Israel, the nations, and even us set forth in the last couple of programs. I wonder if you'd review this for us. I think it's critical to get this, to have a really thorough understanding of Isaiah, and especially this portion that we're in today. This is very critical, and we need to see what Isaiah's divine way of thinking was and what his divine philosophy is in this book. And basically speaking, what this book shows is that God, we can say, hired Israel to be his testimony and to be his witness for his expression on this earth. Now, when we use the word hired, we mean God wants to use his people. He wants his people to be useful to him. And the way we're useful to him as his people is that we're filled with all his riches to become his expression, his testimony, and his witness on this earth. But what happened was Israel failed God. So what did God do? We can say God fired Israel. They failed him in becoming his testimony. But what he did after that was he hired the nations and use the nations to chastise Israel so that Israel would repent and return to God. But what happened with the nations, as we see again and again in this book, is they were excessive in what they did to Israel. They went overboard, and this offended God to the uttermost, and so he fired the nations along with Israel. Well, Ed, we're going to see that not only was Israel fired and the nations fired, but we've been fired as well. Let's join Witness Lee with our life study. Isaiah surely had a kind of a thinking, a kind of a even philosophy 
logic within him. That is, firstly, God heard Israel to be his testimony, or you may say his witnesses. Eventually, this Israel filled God. Then, for the purpose to chastise them, God heard the nations, so many nations. All were hired by God to chastise his elect, Israel. But all of them, not one exception, failed God. They didn't do it according to what God wanted in his heart. But they did it according to their desire. They went too far. They chastised Israel excessively and that offended God. So God came in to fare both Israel and the nations. God's chastisement on his beloved elect and God's judgment on the excessive nations has been used very much by God to bring in three things. Number one, Israel was brought back to God. You may say Israel had never been that faithful, that pleasant in the eyes of God before this time. It was after God's chastisement on them, plus God's judgment on the nations, that Israel were brought back to God. Number two, going along with the return of Israel to God, there is always some restoration of the created things yet fallen. All these created and fallen things will be restored, but there is a need of someone to usher in this restoration. And this someone or this something has to be Israel. When Israel turned to God, all the other things, the created matters, will follow. To turn to God, the third thing brought in by God's chastisement and judgment is the all-inclusive Christ. The three things, the turn of God's people to God, and the restoration of all the created things, and the coming in of the all-inclusive Christ. Well, you could apply these to yourself. If a single sinner, this principle is applicable. Whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Gentile, whatsoever, the real situation is the same. We feel God. We've been totally a failure. Everybody feels God. These may be helpful to you. This may lead you to turn to God. When you look at your success, you will never be turned to God. When you look at your failure, you will be humble to pray, to repent, to confess that you are a failure, you are hopeless. You realize you need something. So there will be a little restoration. And then, eventually, Christ comes in. The all-inclusive one comes in to meet your need. I tell you, 
in the entire book of Isaiah, this thought, this logic, this spiritual, divine, heavenly philosophy was dominating there in Isaiah. Well, Ed, we're borrowing Witness Lee's metaphor here, this hiring and firing concept to really illustrate what Isaiah is conveying. And God had to first hire Israel to maintain his testimony, but because of their failure, as you alluded to in the introduction, he then fired them, as shown by his dealing with them. Then the nations hired by God to affect suffering on Israel, but they're too much, and he has to fire them as well. All this chastisement and judgment by God results in three things being brought in, and all of them very positive. Number one, his people turn back to God. Number two, Israel is restored. And three, Christ is ushered in. It's ironic, isn't it, Ed, that it's the failures that most often lead to these things being brought forth more than our successes. This is exactly right, Chris. Even our so-called successes spiritually many times cause us to be proud, and they don't cause us to turn to God. But the Lord really uses our failures. I mean, if we consider our experience as Christians and if we consider the experiences of the men of God in the Bible, our failures are what cause us to realize that we are hopeless cases. I mean, in ourselves, in our flesh, we are hopeless. And this is what causes us to turn to God in a desperate way where we open our whole being to God and he's able to fill us with all that he is so that we can become his expression. We need to realize no matter what our background is, we have to realize in God's sight, in our flesh, in ourself, we are utter failures. The only one in this universe that's a success is Christ himself. He's the success story. Our story in our flesh, in our natural man, in our old man, is a story of failure. We need to repent and turn to God and take Christ as our life. This causes us to be humbled in God's sight. Our failures causes us to repent. It means to turn from all things other than God to God himself. And we can see this in David's case. You know, David had a big failure. We see his repentance in Psalm 51. And look what came out of that repentance. Now, this doesn't mean that we should try to fail, but God will sovereignly use our failures for his purpose. So we see that David's repentance in Psalm 51 issued in something marvelous. It issued in Solomon, and Solomon is the one who built the temple for God's expression on this earth. Also, we have the case of Peter. Peter failed God miserably. But God used this failure to Peter's benefit in a tremendous way. By Peter's failure, when he denied the Lord, he lost his trust in himself, in his natural strength, in his natural absoluteness. That was broken. And then he became very useful in God's hands. God reconstructed Peter with himself to make him so useful. Then on the day of Pentecost, you see a different Peter, a Peter who is broken, a Peter who is filled with God, and a Peter who is one with all the brothers to speak God's word for God's testimony. Yeah, I really like you bringing in the example of Peter there. We are so much the same. It's easy to say, well, we need God. We really trust God. 
but it's generally not until we absolutely run out of gas in ourselves and fail miserably that that really becomes our earnest cry. Exactly. When we fail, you don't pray doctrinal prayers when you're at the bottom. You become very real, and you cry out to God, and you open to God. This gives God a way in our failures, in our defeats. When we cry out to him, when we really repent and return to him with our whole heart, this gives him a way to fill us with all his riches so that we can express him for his glory. Yeah, this is a wonderful life study. Let's go back to more of it. Here's Witness Lee. In the first 39 chapters, 1 to 39, Isaiah thought is this, chastising, punishing, to bring in a turn to God, to bring in the restoration, to bring in the all-inclusive Christ. Now, based upon this, Jehovah's dealing with Israel's reliance on Egypt. And he's dealing with the nations, these two kind of dealings, issuing in Israel's turn to him and in his return to Israel. Most of you do know, in typology, Egypt typifies the world. God's people, whenever they got fallen, they got very low, they would go to Egypt. Abraham did this. So today, we Christians, God's people, Whenever we got low, we go back to the world, to Egypt. So to go to Egypt, to rely upon Egypt, even to make an association with the world, that is sin. Remember, there could never be your glory. There could never be your profit, your help. Always it comes out a kind of a shame, humiliation, reproach to us Christians. A good number of the distance whenever or whoever just felt unhappy with the church. After a while, they turned to the world. And after another while, they went <laughs> to the world. And then they stayed there. Many couldn't get back. Now, learn the lesson. Don't turn to the world. When you are low, you better look up. Ed, in the depth of her failure and rebellion, Israel turned to Egypt and relied upon Egypt. Of course, this brought in God's very harsh dealing with them once again. What does turning to and relying upon Egypt represent in our experience? Well, Chris, Egypt represents the world and the world usurping God's people. We should never turn to and rely upon the world signified by Egypt. No matter how low we get, don't turn back to the world. Don't do this. I remember as a young believer, uh, one time I was having a very difficult time, and one older, mature brother, he said, Ed, no matter what, don't go back to Egypt. The example, of course, is Abraham. I mean, there was a famine in the land. You read in Genesis 12, Abraham took Sarah and he went back to Egypt and he ran into big trouble. We should never turn back to the world. We need to realize, you know, James 4 verse 4 tells us that whoever makes friends with the world 
becomes God's enemy. This is very serious. We don't want to be God's enemy. Quite the contrary. We want to be God's lovers, God's seekers. So we should never love the world. And you know, Chris, on 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, to me there's a very sad situation there in this verse where Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present age, or we can say the world. Now, we never want this to be our testimony in the divine record, that we would leave God's purpose, God's way, God's servant, and go back to loving the world. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul talks about different kinds of lovers. And when we love the world, according to this chapter, we can be lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. Uh, We don't want to be these kind of people as believers, lovers of self. The Bible says we should hate ourselves and deny ourselves. And the more we love God, the more we hate ourselves. So we shouldn't be lovers of self. We shouldn't be lovers of money. This is a terrible thing. We need to pray, Lord, save me from being a lover of self. Save me from being a lover of money. What are the real riches in this universe? The real riches are the riches of Christ, according to Ephesians 3.8. And the Lord tells us that he tells a parable of a man who has all these riches and he builds bigger and bigger barns so that he can contain his worldly wealth. And the Lord tells us this man was very foolish because his soul will be required of him. And what do you have when you go to meet the Lord? What counts is whether or not we are rich toward God. We need the riches of Christ to fill our being. Also, we shouldn't be lovers of pleasure. This shows the world. What is the world? The world is composed of self-lovers, money lovers, and pleasure lovers. There's a fourth kind of lover in 2 Timothy 3, and that lover is a lover of God. We want to be God lovers. We need to be those who say day by day, moment by moment, Lord Jesus, I love you. Constrain me with your love. And this way, we're not a lover of self. We're a lover of the Lord Jesus. We're not a lover of money. We're a lover of the riches of Christ. We're not a lover of pleasure. We're a lover of Christ so that he can be our enjoyment and so that he can be our pleasure. Anyway, I just pray that we would all become God lovers, not world lovers. And I want to pick up some verses now that Witness Lee is going to uh, refer to in this final section. And this is Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18, 20, and 21. And therefore Jehovah waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he remains on high to have compassion on you. For Jehovah is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And though the Lord has given you the bread of adversity and the water of oppression, your teacher will no longer hide himself in a corner, but your eyes will see your teacher, and your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or turn to the left. Here's Witness Lee. Now, Jehovah's return to Israel. Jehovah waits to be gracious to Israel, and therefore he remains on high to have compassion on them, for he is a God of justice, blessed are those who wait for him. Like flying birds, so will Jehovah of hosts protect Jerusalem. 
He will protect and deliver it. He will pass over and rescue it. Jehovah's fear is in them, and his fairness is in Jerusalem for the protection of Israel. This means there was a time that God gave up Israel. And now the time comes that God returned to Israel to protect Israel just like birds to overshadow her young. And also like a fire burning with a furnace to protect Israel's capital. Now with restoration, a people will dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. They will weep no more. Jehovah will be most gracious to them at the sound of their cry. When he hears it, he will answer them. Their teacher will no longer hide himself in corner, but their eyes will see their teacher and their ears will hear a word behind them, saying, this is the way, walk in it. Which way you should take? Christ is here. He'll tell you at the crossroad. Then Isaiah goes on to the light, to three lights in the heavenly host. And the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold, like the light of seven days. On the day when Jehovah binds up the brick of his people, the wounds of his people, and heals the wound left from his stroke. The people will have a song as in the night when the feast is sanctified. And they will also have the gladness of heart as when one marches to the fruit to go to the mountain of Jehovah the rock of Israel. Mostly the feasts were held in day, but some extraordinary feast sometimes was held in the night. So this singing, signifying happiness, signifying rejoicing, is not a kind of common thing. It's something extraordinary which will be going on in the night. This indicates that in God's restoration with his people, the people's enjoyment will go that far like a feast in the night with a song. I say again, this is Isaiah's description, always indicating something rich, something high, something great. Isaiah's wonderful. Well, Brother Ed, we end on a high note today. Israel once again turns back to Jehovah following his dealing with them. And they're able to, and I like this phrase, see and hear the teacher. We read the verses. I think that we can all relate to this experience ourselves, can't we? This is an absolutely marvelous way to end this program. I love this portion of the verse that you read and that Brother Lee covered in his sharing their eyes will see their teacher. The Lord Jesus came into our spirit, and now he is our indwelling teacher. And our eyes need to be open to see our teacher. Then the verse you read, of course, also says, when they turn to the right or to the left, they will hear a word behind them saying, this is the way, 
walk in it. As Christians, Christ is not someone who's merely doctrinal to us. He's not a mere historical figure. He's the one that we love. He's our teacher. He's not outside of us. He lives in us, and we need to see our teacher, and we need to hear him day by day. The Lord has revealed himself to us. We have seen our teacher, and we have heard our teacher on this program. Chris, this just shows that when we have failures, and maybe right now you're listening and you've just failed the Lord, all you need to do is say, Lord, forgive me for what I did. I like to turn to you right now with all my heart. I like to consecrate my entire life to you in a fresh way. When we return to God with all our heart, he restores us inwardly, he revives us, and he reveals himself to us as our teacher. And this is the Christian life. The Lord told Saul of Tarsus at his conversion through Ananias, he said, you will be a witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. I love these two words, seen and heard. Then in 1 John 1, 3, John tells us, that which we have seen and heard, we report to you, that you may have fellowship with us. The Christian life is a life of seeing and hearing. That's something very real and very precious. Ed, it's really ironic that the times we think we may be the farthest from seeing and hearing because of our failures, that really may be the time where he is just around the corner with a fresh view and a clear and loving word to us. This is light that all of God's people desperately need. Thank you very much for your fellowship today, Ed. Yes, thank you, Chris. I'm looking forward to coming back again for another marvelous, precious life study message of the book of Isaiah. Well, we're awfully happy also that we've had you with us today, and we trust that you've gotten as much out of this life study as uh, Ed and I have in our fellowship and preparing this and getting into this marvelous unveiling of the riches in the book of Isaiah. Uh, this life study is truly a classic. Our number is one eight eight eight. Life Study. That's 543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. Today for Ed Marks, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule 
or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.